0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry,
1: visit redemptionhilldsm.org. There are individuals and pastors who are now moving the goalpost when it comes to the standards of preaching. And I am fired up. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. All right, everyone. Logan. What's up? I am all jacked up today. Yeah, you are. I am fired up. You've been kind of fired up for the past couple of days. What is going on?
0: This is insanity. Yeah, I mean, just got people that would
1: probably fail a, a paper at school. Man, could you imagine like being in seminary? You just graduated seminary. Yeah, shout out to Midwestern Baptist can I, Theological show. Can I
0: imagine being in seminary? <laughs> yeah, you just finished.
1: <laughs> I'm a little far. I'm a far, much farther removed actually than you. But could you just imagine like writing a paper and just uh-huh. completely lifting the entire thing? Yeah and uh making it your own right no no attribution no like hey which 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 is still wrong in that situation every (laughs) syllabus that i have ever looked at said if you get if you plagiarize zero zero right immediately and so why wouldn't we hold that same standard when it comes to a pastor who preaches
0: well apparently that it's easier for them or they have other things to focus yeah. on but perhaps we should explain okay so let's get into the con- let's about. get into
1: the details everyone because <laughs> this is a topic like i said earlier i just said i'm all fired up about it um and there's a lot of people doing explain explaining things away mm-hmm. so if you're in the twitter verse which i don't necessarily recommend <laughs> but if you're in there you know what i'm talking about if you're in the evangelical circles if you see- might be seeing it on facebook as well mm-hmm. i know that i got to write a blog post on this yeah um, that'll be coming down the pike here. So, uh, can you explain a little bit what's going on, and I'll chime in as kind of fill yeah. in some details. You'll have to. You have to forgive
0: me because I'm just terrible with names. Oh, so okay. So, so we, got, we got Ed Litton, right? JD Greer.
1: Those would be your, you know, very well known in Southern Baptist Convention. And Litton is the new. Yeah, he got elected. President. Yep. So we're not full disclosure. We've we're SBC. Uh, we've been to SBC seminaries, but we are not a part of the SBC. Correct. We're so we don't know all the politics. Right. Yeah. You know, but whatever's.
0: it was. Linton that ended up preaching a sermon, several sermons. Okay. Several sermons that were actually essentially copies of another person's sermons either used like the same outline. I mean, some things are just word for word. Right. And it's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, it is. It is crazy. And we need to, well, what we're going to do here is we're going to explain like what our beef is, but also, Mm. you know, understand that, pastors are looking for insight and wisdom and ideas when they listen to other pastors preach. And so we want to kind of show, here's the line. This is mm-hmm. a line you just don't cross. Right. But you also, here's a category where, you know what, as pastors, as preachers, we want to continue to learn, to grow. There's nothing new under the sun. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to come up with a great new theological position all of a sudden out of nowhere. Right. Uh, all oh, that's goodness. been spoken about. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So so there are some things that we uh, stand on top of the shoulder of giants, that whole kind of thing. But there's, but what we're talking about is something much bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think grievous. So we have that situation in the SBC. And and here's what well, here's what really disturbs me. There are people defending it, right? And that's what I can't get my mind around. Um, that's what I can't quite settle in my own heart. So, you know, this hap- This hap- This didn't happen to me, but I actually called out a pastor one time. Um, when I just became a Christian, I listened to a John Piper sermon. So, uh, I got a, became a Christian 22. Right. So we're talking 18 years ago, a long time ago. And I was still kind of in that, have a rock in my shoe, becoming a Calvinist phase, you know? You were just, you had a fire for the Lord. I had a fire for the Lord. I want to let you know that about it. Wasn't
0: maybe, uh, didn't have a good outlet, right? Away. No, I had no, no good
1: outlet. So anyways, we were in the, we were in the Twin Cities yep. and uh, John Piper was in his prime in the sense of like in his heyday when he was right. real popular. I mean, he doesn't, he's not even a pastor anymore, right? I think he's he like retired. He rides, pastor a yeah. pastor emeritus or something. Right. So he's still active at this time. Yeah. He's still active. And uh, I had randomly listened to a sermon online mm-hmm. from some pastor in California and it was a word for word ripoff of John Piper. And I'm listed. I'm like, this, this is plagiarism, you know? And so I emailed the pastor and I'm like, dude, you just you just ripped off John Piper. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. And then he emails me back and he's like, well, everyone does this type of mentality. Kind of explaining it away. I'm like, really? You know, and I didn't respond back after that point. I'm like, what's the point? And I probably shouldn't have emailed them to begin with. Who knows? Mm-hmm. My heart was not in the right spot. <laughs> so anyways, this has been going on for a while. Right. And uh, to what extent, I don't know. But I think I think what is revealing now with the whole Ed Litton, G D Greer thing, it's happening way more than people realize. Yeah. I mean, you you pointed me to a Albert Moeller
0: uh, radio podcast. Yeah, that's right. Which was in, what, 2006? Six. <laughs> 2006, where he's speaking on the same issue of pastors
1: essentially just ripping each other off word for word. So Albert Moller is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He had one of the professors on, Herschel York, I think. I I Mm -hmm. still think he's there. And uh, yeah, he's basically like, you can't do this. This is wrong. And even some of the callers then were were calling in and being like, yeah, why can't? They're still teaching the truth. Right. You know? So the question becomes, at this point, one, can a pastor preach another pastor's sermon? And I would say absolutely not. What if you attribute that sermon to that pastor? Is that okay? And I would say absolutely not as well. Why? Well, we're going to get into that, but some of it has to do with pastoral integrity. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the exceptions. Let's say, you know, we're at Redemptional Church located here in the Des Moines metro. Let's say I'm ready to preach on Sunday morning and I get sick. Right. And I say, Logan, just preach my sermon. Yep. You know, I mean, that's a clear exception where everyone in our church understands, you know, Pastor Sean is sick. And uh, we're still going to have Sunday celebration because I'm not the church. We are the church. Right. And you don't have time to prepare a sermon. And you're like, okay, he's got his manuscript ready. You review it. You preach it. Yep. I would say that would be one of those exception things, but it's very internal. Right? right. It's very isolated to our local church. And it's certainly the exception.
0: Right. And there's already the relationship of I have preached for the Sunday sermon yeah. before. Um, and then it's it's just one of those rare circumstances. It's better in that case, I think to come together and worship as a local church than to just cancel a Sunday.
1: Yeah, I agree. I do agree. And so we're not talking about kind of that exceptional one-off, once every 10 years type situation at all. Uh, We're talking this is a normative practice. And here's another story I wanted to share um, because this was a learning point for me that has Mm -hmm. shaped how I do sermon prep today. There's a couple big moments that have shaped how I do sermon prep. And why I'm all fired up about this. When I, you know, I've been a pastor ministry for a little while. And I had just become a pastor in a church. And there was a team. So not a church planning context, but multiple you mm-hmm. know, people on staff who could preach or whatever. And I'm kind of the low guy on the totem pole. And so um, in short notice, uh, the lead pastor had asked me, Hey, I need you to preach um, on this topic from this passage. And I want you to listen to this sermon. Okay. And that was, that was unusual because, you know, in our circles, we just say, if I want someone to preach, I say, you know, we're going through Ephesians, go read Ephesians (laughs) four verses one to six and, you know, study, study, study the word of God. This was not that, this was like, here's the topic I want you to preach on. Right. Here's the text you're going to preach from, and you're going to listen to this guy. And it wasn't as straightforward, but that's how it was presented. Like, This is what you're doing. Sure. And so I went ahead and did it. And I cannot, and I, you know, if you took his manuscript and my manuscript, they, they were um, independent. Yep. But I can't tell you how heavily influenced I was uh, of that sermon. It was a good sermon, mm-hmm. but it heavily influenced me. And something happened to me early on in ministry. When I got done preaching that, I repented. Hmm. I repented because I felt like I didn't own it. Sure. I didn't feel like I was the one who wrestled with God in the studying of His Word, and I made a vow to myself and before the Lord, I will never do that again. I will never allow that kind of influence to hold sway, where it just determines how I understand the text. Like God wants me, the pastor, to come to the text. I'm not. And, and like I said, that was a good sermon. You know that, that the other guy preached. <laughs> that was a great sermon. No, 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 that that the other fantastic. guy preached. <laughs> but but I but I that was a big moment for me. I was never. I'm. I've never done that again. I never mm-hmm. will do that again. And in our church, these guys get raised up to be pastors. They will not do that. Okay. They'll be taught another way. Good. I want to introduce something to you then, because Uh-oh. I think you'll find this interesting. Yeah, so uh,
0: I ran into an article that talked about Charles Spurgeon's hmm. thoughts on plagiarism, because apparently some people were using Is he him. Goat. Is he a goat? Yeah. I think he's more of a sheep if he's a goat than he's (laughs) He's the greatest of all time. Seems
1: like he is. I mean, I
0: think he's yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, so you got a quote. Sorry, yeah, but anyways, it was he was the article is just about um, Spurgeon's view, and it actually mentioned that in his classes, he thought it was okay not to completely rip off a sermon. But to essentially use a sermon as a base when you were first starting off as preaching, sure. Because he thinks that there is wisdom to be gained from that. But by the end, you need to be writing your own completely original stuff.
1: Yeah, I can see what he's saying there. I think this then this now comes down to discipleship. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are um, being trained to be a pastor, what does it look like to understand what it means to put together a sermon? Right. What does it Mm -hmm. look like to shape it from you know, introduction to conclusion. Right. I hear what he's saying. Uh, my slight pushback would be what we want our guys to do is to get into the text. Mm-hmm. And if this sermon, if getting into the text and this sermon over here help, help, uh, helps the uh, the young buck try to compartmentalize how to write a sermon, then I get that. Mm-hmm. I do get that. Because we, we all come to a place where you got to figure out how to shape it. Right. What I don't like is is the uh, unacknowledged taking of ideas? Sure, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it, in a way that it isn't like what I what I'm not saying is, hey, I listened to a sermon at a conference and this guy from this passage gave this great idea. and I molded over for three four weeks and then I and I preached it. Well, I molded over three four weeks mm-hmm. and I and I truly made it my own. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like a one to one, what we see with Lytton doing with Greer. Sure, sure, <laughs> you know. Here's a point, I'm giving you the same exact um, example, and he comes back and says the same point, and then the same example, and the same point, and the same example, and it's just so clear and obvious. And I I would reject that. I
0: will say the article went on to say that one of his students, you know, part of the final project is they have to give a a sermon. One of the students um, plagiarized Spurgeon. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, to him. Oh, really? Yeah, like... He preached oh. a, ser- a Spurgeon sermon did it say to what Spurgeon, Spurgeon did? and the rest of the class. Did it say what Spurgeon did? Uh, he went, wait a second, and then pulled out the sermon, and then <laughs> all the classmates just ripped
1: the kid to shreds. <laughs> right so.
0: Because they are like, you can't do that, yeah. and he almost got kicked
1: out. Yeah. I think to your point, like, can seasoned pastors help younger pastors mm-hmm. help under- help understand what it looks like to shape a sermon? 100%. Yeah. They should.
0: Like, for instance, on my last sermon on Ephesians 2, oh, what was it, 13 through 17? See, I'm, t- I'm terrible with these details. <laughs> I get heavily influenced by Bodie i one of my favorite preachers. Sure, yeah, yeah. But I mentioned in that sermon, I agree with his point here, and I directly, like... You quote him out. Yeah, yeah quote him, or at least reference his name. This is where I'm getting this idea from, and yeah. I am I accept that idea. That's way different than what we have been seeing with them just straight up quoting, and especially with illustrations where I think uh, Lytton used the term I
1: when it's clearly not actually him. You didn't experience that, buddy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's not your story. That is so disingenuous, and that's what drives me nuts. You can use illustrations that other pastors have preached or that you Mm -hmm. read in a commentary, right? But you you write it in such a way where it's honest and has integrity. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or the
0: time I I used uh, Sproul's uh, illustration. Of
1: when he was
0: traveling countries, oh, when sure. it came to common citizenship, I'm saying this is Sproul's story, yeah, and I'm telling it to you because it makes my point and it's a good
1: story, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think all that's acceptable. And the other thing I would say, in addition to attributing things verbally, if you've ever, you've seen my manuscripts before, mm-hmm. I'm big into footnoting. So, um, so someone ever came up to me and be like, "Hey, that sounds familiar," I can be like, "Yeah, well, here's the footnote, <laughs> and uh, you can look at the resource yourself." Mm-hmm. And I find that to be another safeguard. And a point of increased integrity when it comes to you know preaching your own sermon, because let's face it, there are there are commentaries that are helpful. We'll get into that in a little in a moment. I talk about you know what's my process for sermon prep. Uh, there are other sermons that can be helpful for certain, mm-hmm. and, uh, we just wanna, and we just want to and we want to be helped by those things. Right, those are tools that we want to be helped by, but. What we're what we're seeing right now within evangelicalism is not what, not that it's not being helped by a tool; it's the outright ripoff. Right. It's you get the F in the class. Yep. So, other things have come about uh, justifications for for um, what's going on, and this idea of a preaching team, other people gathering the info and um helping the pastor pretty much say you know here's the text here are some here's some insight in the text here's some examples you could use what do you think about preaching teams we don't have experience with that right so we want to be careful careful there but i mean i wonder how many of the church fathers
0: would have used that or like john calvin like some of them are preaching multiple times a week yeah yeah sure but i don't i don't know if they actually use a team or not i i don't see a Hmm. If the pastor... So let's say you have a preaching team. Like it's uh, me uh, and a few other people from the church. And we come together and we gather information about the text. Um, We almost uh, cut out some commentary quotes that we think are relevant. And we give that to you. And you take the time to sit down Mm -hmm. and review everything that we have had. Think it over. Reject some things. Accept other things. I don't see that as necessarily bad sure uh it's a little strange just because it's not something I'm. it's really common in
1: in bigger churches mega churches Mm -hmm, very much so
0: i think if the pastor takes the time to really analyze what they're given and understands what it is and actually comes up with their own opinions like essentially it becomes almost like another resource it's like a collective commentary correct and if if the pastor takes the time to analyze it, think it through, I think it is okay. And I
1: think that's the key. But the temp- what's the temptation? That they write the sermon. That they write the sermon and the pastor doesn't do the analyzing. He doesn't take the time. He doesn't ask the hard questions mm-hmm. about... Th- there, are, there are so many times, so many times where I get to write in a sermon and, um, you know, there's like five or six resources that you're using, but you realize three of them, because you actually studied it, don't actually fit. You know, at the time... You're like, oh, that, that's a good statement on this particular passage. Mm-hmm. And then in reflection, you're like, actually, that's a horrible statement. It says <laughs> nothing that does not help. with the point i have trying to make. You pulled that out of left <laughs> yeah. field. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing. It's, is there an actual due diligence taking place?
0: You know, in a way, you actually did have a preaching team. How so? Because we would have our Monday meetings. Oh, sure. And we would go over the text together as a group. Yeah, occasionally. you. Yeah. Occasionally, but we've done that in community groups too. Yeah, and yeah. similar kind of concept. You have a team of people going
1: over a text, but ultimately it was you that did the analysis, you
0: that put together your own thoughts.
1: Yeah, and so part of the heart behind that was to, and in particular with community groups as well, and this doesn't happen every week, maybe once a month, Yeah, um, is to get our folks thinking about this coming, the sermon coming up on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I find value in prodding people a little bit mm-hmm. into be thinking clearly about the text and i appreciate people's feedback right but i have to do something with that all of a sudden yeah and many times it's man that doesn't work that doesn't work nice thought but doesn't fit with the way i'm gonna you know preach it or whatever yeah and there's other times like it happened two three weeks ago someone had said something at community group and like that's a really good point i was i needed a, you know i asked the question something about love love of god or whatever mm-hmm. And someone had spoke up and said, you know, it'd be really helpful if you define that for us. Right. And then in our community group, we went into a 20 minute discussion of like, so what is the love of God? Sure. (laughs) How much time do we have? But the point was well taken that there's so much we can say. It's hard to define. Can you give us something to work with? So that when you talk about the love of God in the context of the sermon, you know, we're able to begin to apply that. Mm -hmm. That was a really helpful comment. But I'm the one who did the work. Right. And that's the thing. You took that comment and you ran with it. Correct. So, you know, I, my, my, my reaction to preaching team is negative, generally speaking. I think these situations are more organic. I think what's happening in a mega church is like, and I. there's staff. There's staff. Like your job is to, you know, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. There's actually this organization. I was unaware of it until today. Okay. I've seen it, but I was unaware of it. I didn't look it up. And they actually are the preaching team and it's called this docent group d-o-c-e-n-t com. docent group and doc h- doc and yeah and so hmm. it's it's interesting is like their part of their organization is to equip pastors to preach sermons and so i'm not sure how it is exactly done but um I'm not sure what I think about it yet. So if you have comments or thoughts on that particular group, hey, just put it into the comment section below. Let us know. Yeah, that'd um, be super interesting. Yeah, I'd be super interested in that. But but that's one of the things that several megachurch pastors use hmm. to write their sermons. And what's interesting to me, I just did a you know a, a preview of their website. huh. And they specifically, it says right here, about Docet, docet Docent, E-N-T. Docent research group exists to equip pastors and executive pastors of large churches. Hmm. I'm out. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's not for you. (laughs) It's just like, it's so specific. It's a little eerie to me. It makes me a little uncomfortable.
0: Oh, it's a good target market. They're the ones that have the money.
1: (laughs) Yeah, certainly. (laughs) Welcome to America. Capitalism, you know. But I think it goes back to that whole idea of what is the pastor owning? Right. That's the key thing here, folks. Listen up. What is the pastor owning when it comes to writing a sermon? Mm -hmm. That is really important. I cannot imagine for the life of me preaching a sermon where 50% of it was handed to me. Sure. That's crazy. But what do you say to the people? Cause there's many people out there
0: that will argue, you know, it's still the word of God. It's living and active in the, the Holy spirit still use that pre-written sermon to affect the congregation for the sanctification, you know, what do you say
1: to that? I th- I think, can the Holy Spirit still use it? 100%. Because the Holy Spirit is above our stupidity <laughs> and our sin. Yeah, he can use it yeah. despite you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so can the Holy Spirit, you know, if I would uh, this Sunday... Take a, well, let's pick a pastor that, you know, a Spurgeon sermon, even a John Piper sermon, and preach on Sunday. Could God use that? 100%. Is John Piper a way better expositor (laughs) and exegesis than me? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say so. So can that be effective? Sure. Is my integrity then in question? Yeah. Yeah, it is. In a a huge way. And this goes back to what are the... not back to you, but this introduces another category that we need to be thinking through. Mm -hmm. What are the expectations that our church members should have of their pastors Mm -hmm. when it comes to preaching? Do we want him delivering a good message every Sunday, perhaps even tickling your ears, making you feel good, being fired up, or do they want their pastor to be in God's word and being shaped by God's word? That's mm-hmm. ultimately what we're talking about here. This is, I mean, the part of what, what's going on here, and I think this ties into the celebrity pastor culture to some degree. Okay. Where he's he's he needs to deliver every Sunday a home run. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. I can see that temptation anyways. I would see it in my own heart if I was in a mega church. Sure. And so it's almost like I look around and I say, okay, I got to deliver this home run and uh, what corners can I cut? in order to make this home run happen. Hmm. And uh, that those temptations to me are, are far too risky. How do I put some cork in the bat? And- yeah, exactly. Sammy Sosa during that year when he was juiced up with Mark McGuire. Oh, that was so aggravating. You have no idea what I'm talking You weren't even born. A thing. I just know that some people put cork in their baseball bats yeah. to make the ball fly. I'm a Cubs fan. And I was watching that game when Sammy Sosa swung and the back broke and the umps like, wait a second <laughs> they weren't testing for you know drugs in a system at the time but hey made for good TV so anything else you want to cover in terms of plagiarism and evangelicalism we covered it for you know about 20 25
0: minutes yeah I mean not really because the next thing that I want to talk about kind of goes into our next section on sermon prep sure because what I was thinking about like as you were saying about um you know what if you were to bring a John Piper sermon? Um, to the pulpit on Sunday. John Piper hopefully wrote that sermon with his congregation what a in great mind point. during sermon prep. What a great point. You need to be doing the same thing and just copying someone else's sermon. You're not really thinking about your congregation or no. how this text applies to your specific congregation if you're just straight up plagiarizing.
1: Logan, man, what a great point. Because what's not happening is that you're not actually shepherding your people. Right. Now that again, the Holy Spirit could use that John Piper sermon, John MacArthur sermon, R.C. Sproul sermon. Pick Mark your, Driscoll. Mark, oh, I just a bunch of people were like, "What?" They just threw him in that too. <laughs> I think he was yelling during most of his sermons, <laughs> <laughs> and people were like,
0: "Yes, I repent."
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I was one of them. I was definitely in that. He definitely made an impact in my life. But we digress. Pick your pastor de jour. Mm-hmm. God can use that. But are you effectively shepherding your church at that point? That's that's what I question now. Yeah. Um, do you know your people well enough when you preach that John Piper sermon? Well, I would I would suggest that you're not. You don't have their best interest in view. You probably have your own best interest in view. Looking good, sounding good. Yeah. Almost being like an entertainer. Yeah. I mean, that's where I think that temptation does come in. You're f- because you didn't. You know, because you you're were, you're were freed up with all the exegesis. You get to figure out now how to be a great communicator right you know you know and uh what 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 movements do i need to do with my body and do i do i use a lapel or do i grab the hand mic and get down on my knees and preach like some people do out in north carolina not gonna name the church um all kinds of nonsense hey man you have like the powers pounce like you (laughs) the powers pounce you you like go forward and bend
0: (laughs) yeah do i get fired up yeah, you get fired up, but yeah. I can usually tell when, because you like, start crouching over, you have your hand above the microphone, and you yeah. have your own mannerisms, man. I I'm not saying it's not there, but I I do not focus on those. Sure. It comes naturally, and you're not on your knees. Yeah. For
1: effect. Right. And just looking like, yeah, Anyways, a doof. A doof, good word. So, what... With all that said, if we're saying preaching teams aren't the greatest idea or shouldn't be an idea, I think I would say it shouldn't be a thing. I would say
0: maybe not the best idea. Not the best idea.
1: And for saying this, docetgroup.com, which admittedly we don't know much about, but it's clearly being used by some mega pastors and uh, it's targeting them. Mm-hmm. And it was affirmed by several mega pastors publicly. Mm-hmm. And they serve as a preaching team. We're like, that's not the best way to go either. In our opinion, Good, good brothers are going to disagree with us in this. What is the proper way to sermon prep? Right. right. I, think, I think we got to wrestle with that. How long? Like I know guys. 48 hours. 48 hours. That's an intense week of sermon prep. I know. It's but, but you know, you have guys who are on the high end like me and then you can be another pastor and he'll be like, what? You shouldn't be doing more than eight hours. Right. I've had people tell me that. Right. And uh, brothers that I love sure. and who are faithfully pastoring their church. And so what is the right? What do you think? I mean, it's going to be,
0: you know, different from person to
1: person. Yeah. If you're a moron like me, guess what? Takes It, it takes All longer. All week. <laughs> it takes longer. <laughs> uh, it's just going to take some time.
0: I mean, I think first you want to be with God and in prayer. Yes. Because you want to get the heart for your congregation. You want to be you know, attuned to the Holy spirit of what is it that they need from this passage? Yeah. Cause we, you know, whatever passage you have for the week, we, we tend to preach through books. Um, and especially within Ephesians, there are multiple points in a single passage that you could focus on, but which one is for your congregation? Yeah. So just rich with theology. Yeah. So prayer, I then, so I'm, I'm going to speak more personally for mine. I yeah. didn't read the text. Yeah. Um, you I speak for you, then I'll tell you what I've been doing for years. Yeah. Um, I can't translate. I'm not at that level. I, Come on,
1: man. You just graduated summer. Yeah, C's get degrees. <laughs> C's get degrees. <laughs> I've never heard Listen, of that. Listen,
0: Greek and Hebrew were rough. I just wanted to get through it. Survival was the key. Yeah, pretty much just survival. Um, so I can't. I can't. Uh, translate the original language, but what I do is I read the text. I also
1: like to read before. Can we we point out something, and then I want you to continue. Sure. Uh, English, you know, in in the English, there are quality translations, so if you do not know the original languages, that's okay. Yeah. We actually live in a culture and a society where we have very reliable English translations. Everything from the NASB to the ESV to the CSB, I would say as well. I would even, I mean, I would say the NIV is... Yeah, and everybody's lost some steam with me, but I would say it's still a faithful translation. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of faithful churches that still use the NIV. Correct, correct. And there's just some stuff stuff I would just agree with. And there's stuff I disagree with the ESV, stuff I disagree with with the...
0: Right, and so sometimes if you want, like, a uh, better understanding of a text, like, read multiple translations. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. um, And just start weighing them. Yeah, Um, that's good. So I read the text. I also like to read before the text, Mm -hmm. and I like to read after the text. So we're getting into context. Got to go into the context of where is it at in this thought, especially with, like, Paul's letters that are very didactic. He has a logical train of thought that he's going
1: through. So this week we're in Ephesians uh, 4, verses uh, 1 to 6. I was getting into it today. And uh, it says, I therefore, therefore I. Ooh, if you're looking at therefore you gotta you gotta back up and be like, okay, what did you say? What is the therefore therefore? Yeah, exactly. That's the common thing. Yeah. Yeah And so we gotta we gotta we gotta wrestle with that. So you gotta to your point you back up be like, okay Why is that therefore there? Mm-hmm. What's the context?
0: Mm-hmm. It's good and then for narrative text you also want to do the same because even though it's maybe not a, a Logical flow in like as in an argument. Yeah,
1: the author put it in that order for a reason correct same with the Gospels, too, which which at first blush might not have logical order, but actually when you study the Gospels, there is an actual, there is a method to what see, might be madness to you in terms mm-hmm. of what's going on in each Gospel. There's a strategy there with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a specific purpose. They put things where they are for a reason. It's right. not random. And that takes some study. Mm-hmm. So if you're a pastor listening, you're a preacher— you got to do the hard work of studying that. Your folks in the pew might not know that or the the chair, but you need to know that. What's going on here? The context. What's the flow? Yep. That's
0: good. Yep. So I read both of those and then I start trying to think through, okay, what can this text mean? I also like to, I use Logos. I know you do too. I love Logos. I like to go through and start highlighting words that are repeated. Sure. Because if something's repeated often, as long as it's not like the word and, yeah, yeah. (laughs) you know. Not a conjunction. Um, But in Ephesians 2, the the term one is used multiple times. And so that can be significant. Not always, but can be. So I start marking up the text, trying to see connections. I'll even sometimes do, um, there's a way to like visually pull it out and like draw on it to show those connections. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once I do that, I try to understand the text then I will go to a commentary okay I tend to go to more commentaries uh, than you probably do just because I'm very
1: new to preaching yes um and these are the tools that we talked about earlier This mm-hmm. is a good thing mm-hmm. right embrace those tools especially as you're uh, your younger pastor who haven't been preaching you know week to week mm-hmm. those tools are there to help you it's right. a good thing so I tend to go to
0: about four commentaries. Um, yeah. I really like the Tyndale commentary set. Yeah. Calvin's, uh, Matthew Henry's, and then I'll usually pick up like a, a single, um, where it's like and it's not a series that I already own. It'll be sure. just like a single commentary, and I'll usually borrow it from him because his library's uh, who oh, for me? Yeah, 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 yeah from, from you for me. <laughs> I was looking. At him. Do I have all
1: my books back? By the way, uh, yes. Okay, good. Yes, I try to be good about that. <laughs> I try to be good about making sure I know where my books are at. Right. right.
0: Um, oh, that's good. So I like to look at commentaries because that helps me know am I on track? Because that's one thing is like if if four commentaries are saying similar things and I'm w- way on a different end Correct. of my understanding, that can be a red flag for me of okay, yeah. I'm not I'm pick I'm not understanding this text as it should be. Right. Um. Some commentaries, of course, will disagree, and I'll I'll weigh those and think those through based off of my own understanding of the text. That's good and that
1: is the prep before actually writing the sermon. And this is similar because we've talked about this before. So mm-hmm. my sermon prep is pretty simple. Quick story though. Uh-huh. Um, before I, pl- you know, was part of planning Redemptional Church or right at the beginning, right at the beginning might have been like you know, right around 2018 October, maybe month before, a month after, sure. Uh, I went to a Charles Simeon Trust, which by the way, if you if you if you love preaching and you want your to refine your preaching and to grow in your preaching highly recommend Charles Simeon Trust Uh, they're all over the country I think they're all over the world so I went to one in Wisconsin um, at Mike Balmore's church in Bristol, Wisconsin okay and I think I went there because of timing I realized later there's one in Des Moines I was like oh great there's one right here (laughs) so I've gone to that one in more more recent years but I went to that one and uh, Mike Balmore is an amazing teacher he trained at I think Trinity Evangelical uh, International School, whatever they're called now, TIU uh, Seminary. And uh, he said something. He talked about his own sermon prep process and it mm-hmm. radically changed how I do things. Okay. Prior, I would read, I, I would begin by, you know, you pray, you read the word, uh, read your passage, of course, and then I would read like five or six commentaries. I spent most of my time in commentaries sure. or listening to other people's sermons on the particular topic. Sure. Now, you... You know your sermon doesn't get shaped um, in one particular direction because you're in so many different ones. Mm-hmm. But it's it seemed like a slog fest. My sermons lacked consistency, hmm. and I didn't do as much exegesis. You know, I just went to writing. You know, what's a, what's a, what's the main point of the passage, and what's a logical flow of thought that I can kind of deduce here? Mm-hmm. But the commentaries really made it muddled. Okay, so it was really hard for me. And then going to Charles and trust and listening to. Pastor Mike Balmore, he, he basically said this. This is what I do. He comes to the Lord in prayer, and um, paraphrasing. You know, it's been three, four years. Uh, reads the text. He does exegesis with the text first. He, spent, he says he spends, I think it was like two to three to four hours. Now, maybe it was up to eight hours just in the text alone. That's in the text. And then he said, do not take more than one, do not read one, more than one or two commentaries, that's it. Read one that is detailed. So there are several commentaries that tell you basically what every Greek word means and and you know where it's at and rest of Scripture and whatever. And then there's like a lot of commentaries out there are, which are sermons of other pastors. Sure. It's like other than that, don't do that. Don't do anything else. Oh, he wrote an outline before he got to the commentaries. Okay. And to what you said earlier, and this is what I do with commentaries now. They help me make sure I'm not heretical. (laughs) (laughs) Am I way off here? Or you're reading a commentary. You're like, yeah, I agree with that. And then you find out he's a heretic. You're like, whoops. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Um, So I I do have commentaries that I gravitate toward Mm -hmm. for certain. Uh, when it comes to the detailed one. But that does depend on book to book as well. We go right. through books of the Bible, generally speaking, and we do some topical yeah. stuff, but it's I generally mean, books. There's
0: some people that are just
1: an expert on a book. What? Yeah, totally. And so you like those experts, especially if they're mm-hmm. going to give you details. With that said, this is what I do now. Come to the Lord, come to the Lord in prayer, read the text. Mm-hmm. And I mark up the text like crazy. I'm in it for hours. I mean, And then I'm in the Greek as well. So I... I do an exegesis actually in the English first, and then I open the Greek up. And I do an exegesis of the Greek as well. And uh, that that is like step one and step two. Okay. So before I even open a commentary, before I even get there, that is that is what I'm doing. And then I labor in the outline process. Okay, what's the propositional statement? What are the main point? However you want to find that. What's the logical flow of thought? We're mm-hmm. an epistle right now, so that's pretty easy to get onto. Um, and then how does that map on with the entire text? There are times I've only preached two words in Ephesians. Right. In love, you know, when we were in Ephesians 1. There's times where I've took a bigger chunk, maybe four, five, six verses. And again, depending on knowing your church, you know, know, know the sheep that mm-hmm. you are a shepherd over. That'll help dictate wh- where are we going with this and how long are we going to make it? You know, how many verses are we going to do? But also understand the context. So I just spend a lot of time thinking about not individuals in the church, but just praying to God for the church. Right. And then, okay, how do I bring this to bear to their heart in the preaching moment? And all that's done in the sermon prep process. It is not, none of it's wasted. Mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is with you just as much in the sermon prep process as he is in the preaching moment. Mm-hmm. And some people think it's the latter. Uh, but right. no, the Lord is with you in the moment. And then after the outline part, I get into the manuscript writing, mm-hmm. which is another part of the process which we really didn't talk about. I'm a big fan of manuscript. Yeah. Some guys do the outline thing or the outline, the detailed outline thing, which I get, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a muddled in my head all the time. <laughs> So I got, I really got to write things out, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I do the same because I have learned from you. So,
1: well, yeah, it's like for me, the, like transition statements are really important. Sure, and so like helping people create logical connections. I will just lose my place if I don't. Yeah, if I, I'll just be like,
0: "What else was I talking about?"
1: Yeah, and so I, I write my manuscript. I I used to re- um, preach them out loud more than I do right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think part of that is I'm I'm getting used to my own voice in my own head. Yep, and that took time. Um, but I read it over several times and I edit. So I'll write, when I got one manuscript done, I print it out. I grab a red pen. It's called red pen. It used to be called red pen Friday, but my schedule is a little different right now. And it is filled with red pens, editing, 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 editing. Like if I would show you a picture, it would be like, that's. You're editing like who wrote this crap? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was <laughs> me. My bad. Yeah. But that it's there where the manuscript actually begins to come to life mm-hmm. in terms of um, the exegesis is done, the outline's done. But now it's like, how does how does this how does this all come together?
0: Yeah, that editing can be so crucial. I yeah. remember um, with one of my sermons, I actually had my wife Kennedy read it. So my,
1: my wife won't do it. <laughs> yeah, she won't do it. No, she could. She's very particular, <laughs> and mm. she's like, I'm just. I'm just going to be really anxious and I don't, I don't want you. Oh my God, I'm going to have a lot of opinions to give you. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: okay. Um, yeah. So well, I let her look at it and I, she knows that I really don't like it if she like changes my words for me. Um, Cause then it doesn't feel like my writing anymore. Cause mm. she has a very different style of writing yeah, than I do. Yep. But what was extremely helpful, she was saying this point, this point, and this point I is unclear. Hmm. You need to rephrase that so it's more clear. Yeah, And then I could go back and I was able to make it more clear for her, which really enhanced the sermon. Yeah, that's I think good. you're doing the same thing with the red pen. You're rereading it. And yeah. You're like, that's not as clear as I wanted to say. Totally. There's a better way to say totally. it. Totally.
1: Absolutely. And I probably do that process at least twice. Whew. And then after that, I go through a grammar check. I I go through a complete grammar check. Grammarly, if you'd like to sponsor. Yeah, (laughs) Grammarly, (laughs) would you please sponsor a psyche? But that's really helpful. And that's actually improved my Mm -hmm. writing. Yeah. Um, It helps me catch things that that in my haste of writing a manuscript um, just may have got wrong or maybe pointing out words that I'm using too often. So creating a little more flavor for the text. And that's usually the last step before Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Sunday morning, um, I'm pretty much set to go. I go over my manuscript. I pray for the Holy Spirit's help. I actually internalize this very greatly in prayer, very much in prayer. And I take it before the Lord. Mm. And I just, I'm almost in my head. It's like I'm kneeling down before the cross and just laying it at at his feet, you know, and just, it it sounds silly. I get that, but it's just my way of really trying to be intentional about this is God's word. And the preaching moment is important with that. Um, the last thing I do with my manuscript is I underline, this sounds really weird. I underline the first word in red of every sentence. And part of that is when I'm in the preaching moment, I'll look up and, you know, do the eye, can't, eye contact thing, try to really connect with people because mm-hmm. it's not just words, it's eyeballs as well. Um, and, the, and that line helps me to get my place Find back. Find where you are. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's just me. Not everyone does it that way. I learned that from a guy um, named Drew who was a, a pastoral resident mm-hmm. of the church I was at. And I found that really helpful. I forget. Was it
0: Jonathan Edwards or John Owen or some other John where they were actually known where they have their manuscript. It was like both hands on the pulpit and they would just read.
1: Oh, uh, that was totally Edwards. That was like Edwards. monotone too, from mm-hmm. what history tells us. Yeah. Now yeah. that's just me. Every, every pastor is different. I think the point I'm trying to make here is of explaining the sermon process in light of the plagiarism that's going on. Mm-hmm if you're a church member, you want your pastor laboring over the word. You Mm -hmm. want him laboring in prayer. You want him laboring in the exegesis process and the manuscript writing. You want him all in on what he's going to deliver to you. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a hard time. I'm getting fired up now. I have a hard time believing that the people who have these preaching teams and those who are completely lifting a sermon and making it their own without attributing it, which is even worse, them really being invested in their congregation. Yeah, I have a hard time. I'm not saying they don't love them. But in terms of that moment, there's got to be integrity. There has to be integrity. And right now when there's plagiar- outright plagiarism, there's a lack of integrity. And that has to be exposed. I Personally, I'm not talking about the people that we've mentioned. Personally, that's a fireable offense. It's a fireable offense. And that's strong. I get it. But I think that's where we're at. You have to take a stand on this. You have to take a strong stand on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying young guys who are who aren't trying to figure it out who make mistakes. That's fine. We're talking about guys who are seasoned pastors preaching for years. For years. It's one of those like you should know better. Mm-hmm. You should know better. And it's driving me nuts.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to follow that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> see I mean, I agree with you that it shows lack of integrity, care for the congregation, for the scriptures. Um, and it's like. I don't know how you can justify it, it, especially when you like, like for instance, when I became a Christian, like I'm one of my biggest convictions was like I need to take the scriptures seriously, and for me that drives me to go into the text and do the work. Mm, mm. So, and I don't think I don't think plagiarism would fly in any other field. Of course not. Any other field
1: except for politics. (laughs) Get away from politics. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, But like, I don't know if we want to be compared to politics. You know what get, I'm saying? They get away with a lot worse than plagiarism. Well, that's even the point. Like, as politicians who've plagiarized, who've been caught red-handed. But I'm not sure that's where pastors want to keep the bar. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which makes it even all more um, infuriating to me. Like, oh, they did it so we can do it? Right. That's not that standard. <sighs> And then, what does it say to young men
0: as well that are wanting to be pastors? Be like, oh, okay, I, I don't have Cut to put corners. the effort in. Yeah,
1: you know, I don't, I don't have to really spend my time here. Yeah. And to be clear, on the preaching team stuff and on that organization we mentioned, you know, I, I have my opinion on that. But when mm-hmm. it comes to it's the lifting of sermons, yeah, especially without attributing it, the sermons, and even if you have permission. Yeah, I would agree. Totally agree.
0: Like, okay, yes, you have permission to do it, but that's like,
1: I'm trying to think of something else that like would be equivalent to it. It's like I, it's like I, I work for a company, and I'm about to give a big speech at a board meeting, and uh, there's a like-minded company over there, mm-hmm. and you give the same speech, and you're like, you know, over, at, I'm giving the same speech that XYZ company gave. I'm going to give it to you right now. Well, first of all, that's dumb because there are different companies outright. Mm -hmm. And if you're the CEO of that organization, you got to know your people. And so you're going to write a message in such a way towards your people. It just makes, none of it makes any sense to me.
0: At least in that little metaphor, you actually said, I'm going to be using the speech of that company. Right, right, right. (laughs) And then sure,
1: everyone, everyone there would have been like, huh? But that, that company, one, I mean, churches aren't, should be competing against each other, but they're just, could be totally different culture, totally different setting, totally different state, totally different mindset. All of it. It makes no sense. So anyways, where are we at? Where are we at with this? Because I've went on a rant. Yeah. I think it also shows laziness. Yes. Yes. I think laziness as well. Now, I'm not going to call up these people that we mentioned lazy. I don't know them, but I think that temptation and laziness is certainly there. Sure. And you know what? Laziness in, in the in the sermon prep process. Sure. Because when you are the pastor of a larger church, guess what? You're, you're overseeing an awful lot. Oh, yeah. So...
0: You're not just sermon prepping. You have to go to meetings, board meetings.
1: Here's here's what it is. It's twofold. And then we're going to try to land this plane. It's number one. We've already mentioned it. It's, It's not respecting the congregation that God is in front of you. And in some ways, it's also being disingenuous to those folks. Right. But more significantly, it's the individual coming before the lord and actually doing the due diligence doing the hard work and saying god is entrusting me to feed these sheep me mm-hmm. not the pastor down the street not the pastor across the country that you listen to on the podcast but you you know and i think again this gets back to this word integrity you must have integrity okay in the sermon purposes
0: i want to give you one more what if situation
1: you're just firing me up man go for it okay i could be here all day i'm a pastor you're a pastor
0: i go before the congregation okay what if i say i'm going to preach this person's sermon for you because i truly believe that this is
1: relevant for us as well is it a one-off sure my undies would be less than a bunch if it's a one-off However, but if I did that every week? <laughs> then then your pastor just is being lazy. You know, I want to be careful because the one-offs certainly happen. Uh, not not with us. Uh, I felt guilty when I re-preached an old sermon one time at our church. <laughs> and it was because it was a holiday and I was out of town and I'm like, uh, you know. You I, plagiarized yourself. I felt so guilty. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I digress again. The one-off... I. I'm not gonna get all worked up over that. I'm not gonna be like, "Here's the line in the sand. You need to, you'd be fired or whatever." Um, but I would say if that's a practice, then that's a problem. Makes sense. Yeah. So the the hard line in the sand is the outright plagiarism. That's the hard line in the sand. Don't do it, and certainly don't do it week over week. Mm-hmm. You know, hundreds of sermons or whatever. That's just that's unreal to me. Um, when you when you rightly make an attribution. Then at least you're inserting some integrity, being like, "I didn't put the work in; this guy did." But I think it's a good sermon for you. Oh, okay. At least, you, at least there's some honesty there about how you went about the process, which wasn't mm. much, but you know. Uh, but that should not be a regular pastor for any, any pastor preaching to this congregation. So, all right. Well, so there you have it. Put yeah. work in
0: your sermon, dang it.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> and people might be wondering how long do you preach or how long do you sermon prep. Um, I would say minimum twenty hours. That's the bait. That's the bottom, bottom, and then it's only up from there. I probably put in two
0: good eight-hour days, so I get like sixteen.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, th- and again, it's that exegesis part, and then the sermon writing part. Yeah, one of us doesn't go back into the original languages and does it again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but that's that's the starting point for me, which means. You know, I am busy throughout the week. And and by the way, part of I you you do two sittings. I actually start my sermon exegesis on Tuesday. Sure. And then I actually have a program throughout the week, so I'll do my sermon exegesis and outline on Tuesday. And then um, I get my outline done, and then I read mm-hmm. um, on. Uh, I fill out my outline, then I read uh, a commentary. Usually, it's just one. I'm not doing two anymore. And sometimes I don't even do a commentary at all. Um, I'm completely blind when it comes to the commentary thing. It's happened several times as we've been through Ephesians, for example. And then uh, I get to sermon, manuscript writing, usually on Thursday and Friday. And, I, if, and a good week, I'm done by Saturday. And I pick it up on Saturday night after the kids go to bed and then on Sunday morning. So, busy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but I love it, man. Preaching is no greater privilege than preaching God's word, which is why you got to take it seriously. Yeah. you got to take it seriously. and
0: You take the sermon prep process seriously. I mean, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones saying it's the highest calling. Yeah. It's one of the highest, if it's the highest calling, you better be putting
1: in some massive effort. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, well, uh, I think I've calmed down a little bit. Um, so check the go, pulse, go get you some tea. <laughs> yeah. Go get you some tea, chamomile,
0: right. chill out a little bit, some sleepy time. But if,
1: you, again, if you're a pastor, I, I pray that this, you take this to heart. Um, if you have, you know, preached a sermon that isn't yours, I really encourage you to rethink those type of decisions. Um, and if you're a member of a church, you know, I'd really encourage you to be discerning about what your pastor is preaching. I want our folks to be discerning about what I'm preaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, pray that your pastor is a man of integrity when it comes to the sermon prep process and then the preaching process as well. Mm-hmm. I think if you put in the
0: effort, your congregation will be served more. Correct. And you will grow as a pastor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Final point, and then I'll land the plane, give the peace out. The Lord has met me. I mean, I do my my devotionals, that's separate. Mm. um But the Lord has met me through the power of the Spirit at work in my life through the exegesis process, time and again. And there's not a week that passes where I'm not personally challenged when I'm preaching my own Mm. sermon. It's just like, really, I'm pointing the finger at me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, And but that's good. That's that's what God's word does. We want to conform our lives into the image of our Savior mm. uh, through the power of the preached word. And that's just one component of how that happens. And so it needs to be taken seriously. So more we could say on that, but we're bumping up against the hour so. Folks, thanks for listening. We appreciate all the time that you've uh, taken just to uh, listen to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, thanks for watching. Uh, do us a favor. Give us five stars on any relevant uh, podcast outlets. Uh, give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Uh, right, just, the just smash the likes, please. Uh, that just helps uh, you know, people look look for theology. That helps get our, our information aggregated and all that kind of stuff. I don't even know what that means, really. We just have to bow to the YouTube algorithm. Oh, sheesh. About a Google, about an Apple, man, a lot of bowing going on around here. About hmm. a bail, uh, but we appreciate any comments and feedbacks too. If you if you're like, hey, I totally disagree with you, that's great. We actually appreciate that kind of feedback. Uh, you can send us an email. Go to cornfieldtheology.com. You can check uh, blocks of blogs that we've written, other uh, podcasts that we've done as well, and then a resource page. We just we just w- that that site exists because we are trying to serve not only our local church but anyone else trying to peer in for biblically saturated content and really trying to understand how theology connects with our culture. Yeah. So that's there to serve you. So thanks for listening. And until next time, this is Cornfield Theology. Deuces. Peace out.